I'm John David Bennett, Dean of Curricular Innovation at Mercersburg Academy, and this is the Berg's Eye View Podcast. In this episode of our Making a Difference series, I talked with Leah Selznick and Megan Curley from the class of 2012. Megan is a recently accredited dietitian, and Leah is a clinical pharmacist. In our conversation, we talked about the professional lives since Mercersburg and what it was like completing their training during the height of the pandemic. And I learned during the interview that Leah and Megan were not only classmates, they were inseparable at the academy. So they speak with deep nostalgic appreciation for their time with friends at Mercersburg and for the influence that the academy has had on their lives. The conversation begins with Megan. Yeah, still living in Australia, loving it. Um, and I've studied to become a dietitian here. So I'm an accredited practicing dietitian here in Australia. And just, yeah, kind of figuring that out here and loving it at the moment. So life's good. I had to do my master's. Didn't have to, but that was just kind of the where I needed to be at this point. Did my master's and finished that in November. And then I became accredited. So what work are you doing in that field now? Currently uh, working with a national rugby league team, uh, the Parramatta Eels, working as a sports dietitian for them. I'm soon doing another course, a lot of studying, to become mm -hmm. an accredited sports dietitian, learning every day. Um, so that'll be exciting. But I also aim to work in a hospital to so do get more clinical experience too, so I can bring the clinical side and the sports kind of too with me. Yeah. Long time rugby fan? I, I'm learning. I'm still <laughs> learning. I have so many questions. So some of the players I have to do body composition stuff on them. And uh -huh. they're like, I'm like, Oh, what position do you play? And they're like, Oh, I'm, I'm number nine. Number I'm nine. like, well, yeah. what, what does that mean? <laughs> Cause apparently like all the numbers, all the positions have specific numbers and you're supposed to know what those mean. And like, yeah. And that's just, I, it's learning every day. And it's, it's pretty interesting to kind of understand a different sport. It's similar in ways to American football, um, with like the tackling and mm -hmm. the shape of the ball. But then other than that, totally different. Leah, your story since 2012? I ended up in San Antonio, Texas. I swam at Trinity University where I got my bachelor's in biology. Um, it was a Mercersburg connection that actually brought me to Trinity to begin with because Papa Pete, I endearingly call him, um, our son coach <laughs> at Mercersburg, trained for the Olympics here in San Antonio with my coach in college at Trinity. So a bunch of us swimmers I know applied to Trinity because of his little buddy there, but I ended up loving it, loving Texas, ended up Googling, honestly, um, top 25 pharmacy schools in the country and trying to find one that let me go abroad um, since I had some great abroad experiences at Mercersburg and wanted to make sure I could get back to that. And then from there, I ended up at Virginia Commonwealth University and I spent four years there getting my doctorate in pharmacy and I applied to residencies and I really wanted to get back to Texas or the West Coast. So I actually matched and ended up at University Health, which is UTESCA University of Texas's Health Science Center, San Antonio, their main science center teaching hospital here in San Antonio and ended up specializing, will end up specializing. I am currently in my second year of residency um, specializing in solid organ transplant pharmacy. So I'll be a clinical specialist in that. If I recall this correctly, you said that you are a clinical pharmacist. Yes. And so what that means is um, I try to explain it as pharmacists can wear a lot of hats. There's a lot of different things you can do with your doctorate of pharmacy degree, but to be a clinical specialist, clinical pharmacist in the hospital setting, any health or any body system you really think of, there's a doctor. There's usually a pretty interdisciplinary team there now, including a pharmacist. 
including the dietitians like Megan was talking about, physical therapy, occupational therapy, nursing. It's not really just that one provider team anymore set up in a hospital. It's really, um, there's a lot of different layers of learning and different layers of profession. So that's where I'll be. So in the morning, I typically work up my patients. It depends on which solid organ I'm on. It's called solid organ transplant because there's also things like stem cell transplants, blood transplant, all those other kinds. But solid organs include your lungs, heart, liver, pancreas, kidneys. Um, There's some intestinal transplants out there too, skin. But depending on which organ system I'm on, I will work up my patients for that team, meet with the team, which is that interdisciplinary team I spoke about where we round and go to every patient room in the hospital. That's usually in the morning. And then we try to discharge those that need to be discharged by midday and in the afternoon, following up on patient care, writing notes, calling patients if I'm in the clinic and working more of the outpatient setting, which is a nice role for pharmacists and transplant. We can kind of do both depending on your job title. But for me, sometimes I'll be in the hospital. Sometimes I'll be following them in clinic with their drug levels. So I guess when I explain like working up a patient, most people don't really understand what that means. What I do is I go through everything, the vitals, their lab values, any changes or things that happened overnight. And then the pharmacist role on the team would be looking at those lab values, checking on their organ function, not just the new organ they got, but the other ones that the drugs might affect and then adjusting and titrating doses and giving recommendations from there. And that's what I then do when I go to rounds with the team in the morning. And then I help facilitate discharges with, any of the meds they need ordered, and I help procure, procure those as well. So you've done a lot of your uh, your preparation for this work during COVID. What has that been like? Actually, being a resident during COVID was really interesting because we all take turns doing code shifts, meaning you respond to the code blues, um, like when someone's having heart failure or someone needs to be intubated um, and paralyzed, sedated, and we handle all the medications. But when it was the COVID cold blues, they didn't let anyone in the, in the room except for the two nurses and one of the providers, but they have this huge PPE on and a walkie. We tried walkie talkies. We tried phones. We tried giving, we prepped all these little code COVID bags to try to bring in with them. So they had the necessary meds, but if they needed us to make a new drip or something different, it was a total mess because you couldn't really hear them through it because they're negative pressure rooms. So it sounds like a huge fan's going on. So I started my master's in February of 2020. And we, ha- we were in, in wow. doing like, so the first year is coursework. And then the second year is half research, half placement. Um, so we were in, in college, in the uni for the first two weeks. And then the first day back of the third week, our at lunchtime our like professor comes in and she's like hey so we've just gotten off the phone with the president of the school we will not be coming back from tomorrow so you guys can either leave now she's like well because you're already here you may as well stay the afternoon but like don't go back tomorrow everything will be online so then there was a big rush for them to kind of like just start learning to facilitate all these classes online and so that was a basically the full year was all online there was a little bit of a a slowdown, I guess, in the COVID pandemic here in Australia, like after June, July of 2020. So we were able to go back for some like um, practical classes, which was nice. But we had to sit 1.5 meters apart. We had to, they would, we'd go out for lunchtime. There would be cleaners that would come in and disinfect the entire room, seats, like everything that we would have touched. And then we could come back after lunch and again, just be super far apart. Um, so that was really interesting. And then my 
and it was kind of sucked on on Zoom too because the teachers would turn off their cameras. They wouldn't expect us to have our cameras on, and it would just be presenting like PowerPoints, and they'd just click through them, and we would just hear them talking for like three hours. And you couldn't see your classmates' faces. We would all just be messaging each other on our phones, being like, like, what is going on? It's like, we got used to it eventually, but it was just really hard. We'd like teach some class, like it was just really interesting. And then the research semester was good because it was online part of it. And then I was in the hospital for a little bit of that doing um, research at the children's hospital here in Sydney. And then placement was also COVID related. So we couldn't go up to the COVID wards. None of the students were allowed to be near them just because of they wanted a little bit of distance between the students and the COVID. Um, so just all full PPE if we're going up to see any patients, which we did every day. And so, uh, so you both lived in South Cottage. Were you close in high school? Were we close? We oh, were no. besties. Were, were you? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. We were inseparable. I remember Megan was so bad with her cell phone that people would contact me to get in contact with her. <laughs> <laughs> like often. Um, we braided our hair together. We were like obsessed. Um, it was great. Yeah. We both slam. We moved to South together with our group of girls. There were six of us and we called our, our group of friends at the nook and a half because the rooms in there are a little bit of a nook. So we had our nook and a half. We still meet up. It's great. We still we have a group chat. Time. Yeah, in our group we chat. We talk on it like all, like all the time, multiple times a week. This updates and one of our friends is pregnant. One's getting married. One's bought a house. We're both like, like as a doctor. I'm like living in Australia. There's a lot happening. So we're all kind of moving on with our lives, but staying very connected, which has been really cool. Like that's what Mercy Break has like given us, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like you think, cause even going on this podcast, like people were like, you're still, I said this to you before yeah. we got on, but like, you're doing this with your high school. Like you're still, what do you, why? I'm like, well, you don't know. Like Mercysburg is a different place. Like you just, you were living there for three years. Like you're, these people became your family. Like the faculty became your family so like we still talked to Mr. Sweeney because he was like he was my advisor and a couple of the girls in our nook and a half it's just yeah it's family so like it makes so much sense to us to do this and and go back to Mercersburg go back to our high school and visit and stuff people just don't understand if they haven't been to boarding school I feel like a lot of boarding school kids do get it but especially Mercersburg kids of course right it's like this weird relationship that you're not my family, like my sister, but you're not my friend. You're like, like my Mercersburg people. I don't know. And <laughs> I feel like I've gotten stranded in multiple airports and had a place to stay. I stayed with Taku in Tokyo once, Lincoln Cupkey in Atlanta. I ended up in Richmond, Virginia, where a couple guys were stationed at Quantico and Harrison Helm moved back there. I always get to see people. It was an hour long flight to Nina in Atlanta and Sasha in Atlanta and Lane in Manhattan and I went skiing with a guy from Mercersburg two weeks ago. It's just easy to coordinate. I think we all kind of have that independence from it, but yeah, we can plan a little random trip to go ski for two days or meet up in a random city. And it's not, it might seem a little weird to other people, but it's so easy and normal. And it's always like, I'm 14 years old again in the conversations (laughs) right back there. Yeah, we could so be stranded much- in any country in the world which is amazing like that's I think that shocks a lot of people like oh you people that went to like school in Germany you can go to Germany and like have people are like 
it's anywhere in Asia, like in mm-hmm. Canada. And I'm like, yeah, there's always yeah. someone there that we know. Always. Mm. Always. Anyway. And there's so much affection for that rickety old building, South Cottage. I mean, it's, the thing's barely standing. And, and the animals I remember don't... after the hurricane, the third floor, they had to redo it or something. And I lived up there um, junior year in 11th grade. And someone had super glued a quarter to the ceiling. And we thought it was so funny to super glue another one. And so there was two and I would check it every time I knew someone that lived in South or anytime I came back to campus. And after the hurricane, it, they, it wasn't there anymore. It's very <laughs> upset. <laughs> so who are some of the people at, at the Academy who uh, had a lasting impact on you? I think my biggest story and impact that really honestly changed my life and I didn't expect it to was the trip I got to go on with Matthew Creddy and Mrs. Malone. Sue Malone was our other faculty advisor, but a group of 12 of us um, were able to go to Malawi. We were in um, Blantyre, Malawi, which is a small, small town, um, rural Malawi, where we worked at a Buddhist-run orphanage, which sounds pretty unique, but Dr. or Mr. Creddy had ties there from when he had been in the Peace Corps, and he's Buddhist, and it was through um, these monks that he therefore got put in touch with the Amitofo Care Center, and being there was one of the best summers of my life. I was very sick. I got the oldest parasite in um, the history, like in the world. I lost 28 pounds. <laughs> from drink taking a popsicle from a kid on the street it was such a bad decision everyone was yelling at me um but no it was a really unique experience we got to pray to buddha every morning at 4 a.m with these little girls we got to live with little girls in their um dorms essentially so there was 11 girls and me and rosie shared a dorm room with them and i taught english and math to fifth equivalent to fifth grade and geography to ninth grade and it honestly sparked this plug it like this light in me that I wanted to first off it was an orphanage so I'm been dead since since I was 17 years old that I'm adopting a child from Malawi um I have such a special place in my heart for the kids that I met there and just the people in general and second it just really sparked this love for me to work abroad it really started to get me thinking about HIV the patient this uh orphanage was in place for children who lost their parents to HIV AIDS. And so from that, I just kind of always kept that in the back of my head with wanting to go into some sort of primary care or working in the medical field. But then I got to college and a girl, random girl who I knew asked since she saw a picture of me on Facebook at the Amitofo Care Center, if I wanted to go work in Botswana with her, because there was a clinic called the, it's called BPI, Baylor International Pediatric AIDS Initiative. And it was founded by a Trinity graduate um, through the Baylor College of Medicine in Texas Children's, where they treat um, children born with HIV AIDS. And there I was able to go, really, I thought I was trying to figure out what kind of doctor I wanted to be at that point, a physician. And I was so fascinated by this massive line of patients every day that would get there at 7 a.m. when clinic open, waiting for their antiviral meds. And I ended up spending most of the days counting pills to check children's adherence. I helped watch the phlebotomist, check the labs. I learned about CD4 counts and all of these different aspects of um, HIV, but also a lot of the social stigmas that 
caused some of these moms coming in with bags and bags of children's HIV meds because they didn't want to take them. And Botswana is a really unique place because they have the diamond industry and that diamond industry funds the HIV medication. So none of these children or patients were um, paying for their medications, but regardless of that, if you're not taking the medications, the virus can mutate and therefore the medicine might not work for them. And it was a really impactful day when that mom came in with all the trash bags and there were no more options currently available for their child to have treatment. And I just didn't really understand what was going on. And I didn't, I just wanted to know more. And so I came back and I asked to shadow in a pharmacy and ended up going to pharmacy school out of the blue. It took 36 credits my senior year of college to get all the prereqs um, and ended up going to pharmacy school. I thought I was going to go into some sort of infectious disease role, but um, with transplant, you still get to see a lot of those um, opportunistic infections with the immunosuppressant agents mm-hmm. that they're on. Um, and some agent or some hospitals now, which I'm trying to get to a transplant center like that with my career are doing HIV positive transplants. So full swing circle. I'm still trying to get there and work in the HIV realm. And I never would have thought about going to a school that let me work abroad, going to have more abroad experiences. I never would have ended up in Botswana if I hadn't gone to sign up for a random trip to Malawi with Mr. Credi, where I got a, I just thought it'd be really unique experience to go and learn about Buddhist culture. I was in his Buddhism class and learn about um, teaching more. I've always wanted to be in some sort of academia field and it just all worked out and I had no idea any of that was in my plans at all. I I have so many like smaller stories, I guess, of faculty at Mercersburg, but not ones that I I would say it's like a full thing like that. But I definitely just think the community as a whole is what kind of has made me who I am at Mercersburg. Just made me very like independent and eager and willing to make big life decisions and be confident in those decisions. I think moving across the world to a place that is basically a 24 hour flight or more, depending on which way you go um, for my family to come visit is daunting and was scary because no one else wanted to do it. But I think because of the experience that I had at Mercersburg, we did all these trips. I went to France with Leia was also, we went to France. We got to make a lot of, and they, they let us go free at times. They're like, we, they'd leave us say near the Arc de Triomphe and then they'd be like, Hey, we'll see you back at the hotel, which was like ages away. They'd see you back at the hotel. Oh, I don't know if this is getting anyone in trouble. I'm not going to say who brought us. <laughs> they taught us how to get there. They taught, you know. They, yeah, but they were like, we'll see you back at the hotel in like a few hours. And then we could just, learn. we were all, there's a group of us doing it, but you learn to be independent and make decisions and, and be there for each other also. If anyone was a bit nervous, you'd be like, that's okay, we're all in it together. So I did that by myself and was confident to move. And even though no one else that I knew wanted to do it with me, and it was one of the best things I've ever done. Um, leaving. If I had just gone back to where my family lives now, it's a small town. It's, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's definitely not the, the life that I was used to and seeing bigger, broader things. And it's just made me definitely more open and, and willing person to do stuff. That's quite scary um, and, and stick with it. I guess I definitely would love to send my children. To- it's, it was just something that was amazing. I did look at a couple other schools. Um, I when my family and I lived in Saudi Arabia. We took a trip Christmas break before 
I graduated from, well, graduated before I started at Mercersburg, graduated from ninth grade in Saudi Arabia. Um, <laughs> and we saw Fountain Valley in Colorado. We saw Asheville, Asheville in North Carolina. We saw Mercersburg and then Choate Rosemary Hall in Connecticut. And we got, we stepped onto the Mercersburg campus and I was like, this is it. I think it was snowing, it was beautiful. And I was like, this is, this is the place. Again, that was Megan Curling and Leah Selznick from the class of 2012. Thank you to Ryan McFarland for help producing this podcast. And special thanks to Brian Morgan, class of 07, and Maddie Norris, class of 2020, for writing and recording the music. If you have a classmate who's making a difference and you'd like to nominate them for an appearance in this podcast, send an email to alumni at mercersburg.edu. Thank you for listening. <laughs>